0: I think we have to look towards spirituality and religion for the answers to try to mediate unbridled materialism, which we know is a death, a death trap.
1: Hey, everyone, it's Mind Rolling Raghu, and I'm back with uh, two of the classiest friends that I have, (laughs) David Silver and Danny Goldberg. And we've done stuff forever together. And, uh, no, I appreciate you guys. And I, I said when the thing opened up, on our zoom to see the three of us together. Uh, we did stuff that, you know, Danny, of course, you know, Danny Goldberg, and he had a podcast, uh, on the network in the earlier days and, uh, has been deeply involved in the music business to this day. And, uh, and basically David and I kind of played with him at, w- at one point. <laughs> we, we had some great times when Danny was running uh, some of these labels and, and uh, we joined forces a couple of times, uh, Triloka uh, Records at that time. Anyhow, welcome, both of you, Danny, David. Nice to be here. Or as... Uh,
0: yes, yes it is, it is nice.
1: Good. Or as Keith Richards said, nice to be anywhere. Yes, yes. I think Milton
0: Berle actually uh, was
1: the first one to say that. Really? Yeah. Well, so Keith stole it from Milton. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. I want to I want to start with something that we be a jumping off point. Um, I was telling this to David, but I I did a podcast the other day with uh, a, a man named Andy Carr, who is a student of Trumpa Rinpoche's all the way back then and, and wrote uh, this really lovely book. And in this book, and he quotes many of his teachers and so on, including Trumpa. So I'm going to read this excerpt. It's, it's uh, yeah, it's worth worth hearing. Um, why did the groundbreaking Buddhist teacher, Chogyan Trumpa Rinpoche, declare... This is the darkest hour of the dark ages. It's worth contemplating. The darkest hour of the dark ages. So Andy says, this is an age of extraordinary material progress. In the, de- in the developed world, most of us enjoy lifespans, comforts and possessions that are beyond the wildest dreams of even kings and queens of former times, let alone ordinary folk. And yet, this immense bounty has its somber side. All these material advances have not been able to bring us genuine freedom or lasting happiness. We spend our lives trying to feed a deeper hunger for security, comfort, entertainment, without ever getting to the source of our discontent. Today, consumerism is rampant. Inequality and oppression are everywhere. The accumulation of knowledge is valued more than the insight needed to use it wisely. Human exploitation of the natural world has been disastrous for many of the beings with whom we share the planet. One million species of animals and plants are now threatened with its extinction. The immensity of human impact on the environment has created a climate crisis that threatens our entire civilization. Don't get me wrong. Science and technologies are not enemies of our well-being. The intellectual and material achievements of science and technology are worthy of great respect. Many of these, modern medicine to name just one example, have been extremely beneficial. I I cannot imagine living in a world without antibiotics, vaccines, or pasteurization. Nevertheless, it is clear that the accumulation of material wealth and knowledge has not led to a corresponding increase in spiritual wealth and social harmony. Trumpa Rinpoche diagnosed the cause of this failure. The river of materialism has burst its banks. The materialistic outlook dominates everywhere, and the mind is intoxicated with worldly concerns. Anyhow, that's our little jumping-off point as to where we are in our world, in our culture, in our particular society, which it seems to be. Uh, talk about the—it's you know, just a village. We are not much different than any other uh, societies with, in terms of this basic premise that uh, that he espoused here. Thoughts.
2: Well, you can't have everything. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Can I quote you on that? Sure.
2: Well, it does seem to be a dark time for us, but it's relative, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, um, it's always relative. And um, to say it's the darkest of dark times is a statement from Trump, who knew a lot more about everything than I do. So I really don't want to dispute that, but of course, life is made up of trillions of moments. And for individuals, some of those moments are incredibly joyous, no matter how dark the context is, either societal or global or political or economic. However, we are living in a time when, particularly in America, uh, uh, you know, idiots are being elected on on a regular basis. And that is a sign, I think, of something of what he was talking about. Uh, why, yeah. why is the public so attracted to obvious liars and hypocrites and worse? Uh, so on that level, I would say we're in a, dar- a dark time. But you know, my own personal life is enhanced by pharmacology and by modern surgery, and all kinds of stuff. And I, you know, I have to think of that balance in, in a very Buddhist way. Ironically, that there is a middle way, and middle ways well, how one deals with this, with this global context. Mm.
1: Yeah, good view. Danny, what's your take on this? Um,
0: well, there is a thing about human beings that seems like the uh, ability to evolve, as far as. Uh, Technology and um, materialism is uh, is greater than the evolution of uh, of of, uh, morality and uh, spiritual consciousness. They do seem to operate uh, on uh, different uh, timelines, and uh, you know, as we, I'm not sure when people will hear this, but we're talking the beginning of July. I know. I know in a week or so the uh, Oppenheimer movie is coming mm-hmm. out, mm-hmm. and uh, you know um, the the uh, the issue of uh, the scientists like him and Einstein who were doing just research into understanding the atomic structure uh, with I think considerable um, idealism, and that that became subordinate to uh, military purposes that created the. Uh, Prior to climate change, the greatest the threat to humanity with nuclear bombs, you know, is is uh, is that was also a huge turning point for <clears throat> the human race. Um, yeah, and yeah. I I don't know it's it's what's interesting to me is what is the role of spirituality? What is the role of religion in all of this? And 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 uh, you know why 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 aren't religions which are supposed to be organized around spirituality and which in some cases are in some cases become like materialistic power centers their own more influential in uh, in in group and social uh, you know the, the decisions and the idea that we're all in this together as opposed to we're all in competition with each with each other or with other groups um, why why somehow the you know, thousands of years of Christianity and however long Islam's been going on and Judaism and Hinduism and all these teachings that they just haven't somehow translated into social behavior that can, um, you know, manage this technology in a way that's not self-destructive. I don't know why, but I think we have to look towards spirituality and religion for the answers to try to mediate unbridled materialism, which we know is a death—a death, a death trap—you know that that just t- totally uninhibited, unbridled materialism would mean you would just go in with guns and steal everything you wanted, you know, and kill people if they got in your way. So I, you know, I, I but but you know, whether it's the darkest or what, you know, there's what. When he said that, you know, what year did he say?
1: It, uh, you know? Yeah, he died in the 80s, so it's yeah. got to be, you know.
0: So, I mean, obviously, one thing I will say, and I, look, obviously, yeah, he's smarter than, what's smarter than I am. But is a general matter, when people say this is the worst of times, I don't see how you could say that to somebody that was in the concentration camps, you know, Mm-hmm. Or some or, or 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 is someone who's a black person who grew up in Mississippi in the fifties or, you know, a lot of other things. I mean, I I, I I think that the central clash between materialism and compassion and spirituality seems to have been present for all of recorded history. And there's a certain narcissism to me about thinking that, gee, this is the worst time. We have uniquely bad things. Nobody from the past could ever ever deal with anything like this. That that irks me. You know that somehow I think it's you got to go to a different space to really
1: be part of the so-called solution. Yeah. Although, uh, in terms of this particular time, environmentally, I think that, you know, one many people say we're past the tippy po- tipping point on well it. just
0: as we speak this summer it's kind of mind oh blowing some, yeah. some of the
1: temperatures i know and the yeah. flooding and the, i mean it's just a, a very no, armageddon unbelievable. the
0: human race look uh, who knows what it'll be uh, you know when our we all have kids you know what the rest of their lives will be like when we're on another plane i mean it's uh, it's unbelievable the uh, the inability of any it's not just the United States. The other powerful countries in the world have the same disease of short-term, materialistic thinking, yeah. um, subordinating the common good, which even includes them. It's 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 a. It really makes one question the theory of evolution.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I've been working on, uh, for Love Server member, uh, on a course. That we're going to be uh, presenting in the fall, which is Alan Watts and Ramdas together addressing, not not together addressing. They didn't do talks together, but addressing you know general issue. Uh, the overriding thing is really the Dharma of Alan Watts and, and Ramdas, and then we have you know themes. And the first theme was around the illusion of separateness, mm-hmm. and people putting it together. Uh, Alan, all he talked about in very poetic ways was how we grow we immediately grow into feeling we are a separate unit we we are everything supports that all of our habitual patterns and neurotic tendencies, society school, uh, all of it it all supports us being this we got to watch out for ourselves here or else you know, you're a little kid and you get fear. Uh, it just You get a name and you suddenly go, wait, I am a something different, right? When you're able to, to, to recognize that. So they said to me, it seems like that's all Alan talked about. And I said, that's probably why so many people were attracted to him, where he was really uh, expressing the true reality of why are we not recognizing our interconnectedness with everything, everyone, and our, our environment, the animals, all of it? And uh, I just found that uh, such a a potent uh, thing from him, you know, that is so relevant today. And I think that's what we're talking about.
0: So. You say they never, they knew each other, right? You say they didn't do talks together, but yeah. they were friends, weren't they? They were
1: friends. They were yeah. drinking buddies and occasional psychedelic buddies. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, we do have stuff from Ram Dass telling stories and so on about Alan. But there's and
0: no, like, recordings of the two of them having a conversation? No. or
1: No. So this will be the first time, really, in, in that... You know, you'll be able to hear their point of view, which is so very different. I mean, right, right. Alan, of course, you know, it, it, Gyan Yoga and uh, non-duality is coming from, and Ramdas coming from the heart, but yeah, not just devotion. the heart, because yeah, well, Ramdas also he delved into all of this other all of these other traditions, which you, we just yeah, talked about. Yeah, right. Yeah,
0: no, that was one of the great gifts Ramdas gave was. Uh, openness to Jesus, to Buddhism, to uh, the, 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 that it was ecumenic. The, the truth was not confined to any one tradition. Yeah, that was a yeah. That was a good
1: one. Well, that didn't come from him. That came from Neem Karoli Baba. Who? As soon no, as no, we... Well, you know what I'm saying. It's just well, uh, but
0: for us near civilians who weren't yeah. in India,
1: <laughs> yeah, Ram the radio
0: was where we we got it. No, obviously, Ramakrishna. Same thing. Ramakrishna talked about, you, you know, uh, all different paths, you know, he and there were there were uh, all the great teachers, I think, did. But for, you know, the rock and roll audience, Ram Das was the uh, one of the
1: messengers. Yes. That, uh, <laughs> that yeah, did it, absolutely. Know. Absolutely. Um, OK, so the uh, just, uh, David, are you? Uh, I'm. I'm Assume a yes,
2: yes. yeah, no. <laughs> I was going to say, I had a two hour conversation with Alan Watson myself. And, oh, uh, shit. Can you talk about that? We, I got to interview you on hardly, that for the hardly. course, for Christ. It say. was in 1969. And Lowell George, who some of you out there will know yeah. who that is, uh, gave me musician. Alan's number. He had it. Lowell had Alan's number and Aldous Huxley's number. L- Lowell
0: was the was the member of the band Little Feet, you know, yeah. great, great, mu- influential musician, you know, for.
2: Yes, and he stayed in my house many times, and I I, I was uh, very close to him actually. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he he at one point he said, "I know both those guys," so he, so he gave me Alan Wilson. And I called him and Alan answered the phone. No. And uh, we had a long conversation. I was twenty six years old, and uh, you know, babe in arms in terms of. Spiritual stuff. Nice dog, there. By the way, yeah, thank you. I'm glad That's Maya.
1: She's my uh, podcast lovely,
2: co-host. Lovely um, you know, <laughs> I, I love dogs. So, you know, well, I remember I mean, the reason I brought it up was not just a name drop, but because he was extraordinarily warm to me. I mean, I, you know, he asked the phone. Hello. I said, "Hello. Is this Alamos?" Yes, it is. Who is this? <laughs> David Silver. He'd never obviously heard of me or cared. And for the next ninety minutes or two hours, I don't remember. He could not have been more
1: That's wonderful.
2: A, I mean, in a way that most people, luminaries, would not be on the phone with a cold call from some English guy. I think the fact that I had an English accent of a much greater weight yeah. at that time made some difference. And he realized I was an emigre like him. But he was extremely warm. Did he bring up separateness? No. We talked mainly about why it seems that uh, LSD and Mescaline and so on gave us a, 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 while taking the ground from under our feet gave us a much a much deeper quick awareness of the divine and why in his opinion and uh, his opinion was that it's it's a neurological you know maze up there and this, this these substances gave us the ability to see that the separateness if uh, not that he used that word but that the general objectivization of all things outside our little head here as something else uh, was rubbish Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. he was firm about that um Mm. and so it was around us and you know the hard thing about that is the um the transformation of thinking or of of intuition from that this laptop here this steel apple thing made in china is actually not separate from me and that um you know, Melania Trump is not separate from me, Uh, (laughs) are hard, hard roads to travel, nevertheless. So my own attempt at this is through meditation. I mean, and learning from other people who, as Danny said, you know, know more than we do, probably. And so, you know, when I hear anything from Ramakrishna or... Yogananda or Nimkaroli or Simbargabya, any of these great sadhus and saints, tend to believe them. That's my ground for it. It's not observational. It's not empirical. Because my empirical organ tells me that there is, in fact, separateness. (laughs) You know, (laughs) what to do? Study, I guess.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> practice, practice, practice. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah I know, I know,
2: I know, I, know, you I know. know.
1: But, you know, taking another objective view on it, I mean, I guess the environment is is such a deep uh, core um, cause of con- just upset with so many people and, and people who are living in villages and... In the Punjab right now, you know, dealing with it directly in Vermont in the heat, and so it's very direct, you know, suffering in relation to uh, the evolution of this of this planet and what we're doing. Um, at the same time, uh, it's it's where do you hitch your horse in terms of deciding to. Wow, this is something that I need to attend to in my own life. It's not, and I don't mean just separating the plastic, and you know, in terms of the garbage. It's like, uh, and I go back to this issue. That's why I love that conversation. You seemingly that you had with Alan was very much of of what I've been hearing as they've been developing these talks for me to, you know, just to take a listen to around the ridiculousness that we are not interconnected, that, that we walk around thinking we are not connected. And, you know, for that, I mean, he's, he, he was just extraordinary. But then, so, it's the um, the will to take a step, and that doesn't mean it's not social action of some sort related to any one of these subjects, but it's about that inner social action which Ramdas used to say, that's what we are doing in terms of this Love Server Member Foundation. That's what we are doing. We are allowing people to work on themselves so they can change, and that change will reflect in, in the hearts of everyone they meet, which seems like a simplistic thing, but is so real. And so, in my mind, very much needed as an example that, yes, no, we are absolutely connected so yeah i think david when you talk about meditation as a as a as a possibility a chant uh whatever it is that you do to get to the place where we are not separate we are connected and you know i like to think mindfulness of just walking around and understanding our our self-interested motivations is another big step no
0: Yes. I I, I I think that's all undeniable. I think it would also help if we expanded the Supreme Court.
1: Uh, <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> because you know,
0: <laughs> it is a weird, talking about trying to function on different levels, Yeah, and I, I, I totally am down with the idea of not demonizing people who one disagrees with, especially since, you know, I had strong opinions 20 years ago that I don't even necessarily agree with, but um, you know there is a weird thing in the United States to the extent you know I, I think probably a lot of people who listen to this are in the United States that um, you know we we don't really have um, the majority uh, rule. You know we have structures that were created in the 18th century. With the purpose of having a minority rule the majority, and the uh, interests—you uh, know—these all are real things. And um, you know, I, I was just in uh, in Athens, and you know, I'm I'm so awestruck by always the the ruins there, the mm-hmm. of the Acropolis, and remembering mm-hmm. Pericles kind of was the vehicle through which. The West, as we know it, whatever is good about the West, traditions of education, democracy, and other things, kind of started, and uh, you know, I think democracy is still probably the best chance of 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 uh, of getting uh, you know sane, non self destructive social behavior and encouraging anything. And it's a, it's a scary because sometimes most people like, you know, disagree with what I believe in, you know, and then if you believe in democracy, you have to live with that. But right now there's this weird disconnect between majority opinion on a lot of things, including the importance of regulating industry and the economics in the service of reducing the climate catastrophe and, um, You know, it's a a real thing, you know, to try to get them. And and I think all over the world, you know, you've got uh, minorities of people who have some narrow materialistic interest at the expense of everybody else. So I don't know. Democracy is not quite at the level of the greatest cosmic Mm -hmm. uh, philosophies that you properly focus on here. But it's not nothing in terms of if you're if you're trying to also deal with material pain and deteriorating things you know so somehow the challenge to me is to keep honoring loving everybody and understanding that the human mind does not know what the cosmic truth is and to try to listen and also to be ethically vigilant about doing what one can do in every sphere, which includes expanding the Supreme Court, which I think is the <laughs> only pathway possible to avoid complete catastrophe.
1: Yeah, you said this to me when uh, before the Trump election. Okay, it's not a matter of Trump getting elected and being a, whatever he is or he isn't. It's a matter of he will put people on the Supreme Court that will change the... Trajectory of this country, you were right. Of course, you know, it's not a
0: well. I was a, just echoing what other yeah, people were, were saying. Yeah, no. you know. But it's um, he, yeah, yeah. I remember someone whose name shall not be mentioned saying, "I thought the only problem with Trump was his comb-over," <laughs> which I thought uh, in your home at that time, uh, <laughs> a person we won't mention. Okay, uh, and I, thought I don't remember was who not, <laughs> that was. Not really, actually, the essence of the issue. But God, look, I know. That the, that the anger, that what he's appealing to is a sense of people feeling invisible, ignored. Yeah, um, and separated big time. And separated, you know, yeah. and uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing. But, uh, you know, um, at some point you can love everybody and still believe that majority interests and opinions should prevail. You know, those two things I don't think are inconsistent, although I'm not quite wise enough to formulate a philosophical
1: thing Mm -hmm. about it. Absolutely. Well, it's like, um, as humans, this is another Ramdasism. we can all live on more than one plane of consciousness at the same time. The human level, the, uh, the gyan, the intellectual understanding level, you know, the, the level of which we do see that interconnectivity and we're acting from that place, but we can't act from that place all the time. And so it's a mix-up.
0: No, it's just listening to it. Listen, every morning when I wake up, I don't want to get out of bed without exception. (laughs) I do not want to get out of bed. I can't imagine finding the energy to do anything. Mm. I'm in a complete funk. And then at some point, some God, other part God of myself. thank God, there's somebody else. Here, somebody, it. some other part of myself says, "Go and take a shower right now," and and, and I <laughs> and, and I do it, and then okay, <laughs> now what do I have to do? So, what's interesting to me is that you know that that I'm so. Uh, this is on a different subject, but like the unconscious can be your enemy. But it can also be your friend, depending on what part of the unconscious mm, is. Mm. And I'm so grateful for whatever that is inside me that actually gets me out of bed. Because this yeah. thing that's talking yeah. now yeah. has no interest in it, I mean, 100% of the time.
1: That's so great. I love the way you put that. <laughs> You know, Sharon Salzberg, she has a name for that that thing that is going on. <laughs> She's called, yeah. I don't know, you know, Lois. Okay, no, you're right, right. shut yeah, up yeah. for a minute. I yeah. gotta hear this other voice. Okay, yeah, yeah. Oh God, that's so great. Um, Dave, yeah, uh, you, you you have know, no, I, you have a couple. Uh, Anyhow,
2: I, knew, I was I was just thinking about Pericles because as far as I know, uh-huh. he was half a millennium BC. Okay, four hundred and fifty BC. So oh yes, def, def, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So that that's a matter of two thousand five hundred years ago, two and a half millennia. He assembled five, as I remember, approximately five hundred people on a hillside, and they voted for themselves. No, and no, what, no, six thousand.
0: Really, it had to be for which it's unbelievable to me. With the population at that time, according to the uh, tourist information at yeah. the at the sites in in Athens. That 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 for major decisions required six thousand and the giant uh, thing, which means that almost everybody in the surrounding areas was involved because I mean the population was only what one fiftieth of what it is now or something. Yeah, but yeah.
2: Um, well, six thousand is a lot. It's not yeah, bad. No yeah. slaves, no women. I mean, there was something between slaves and freed men and women. I've forgotten the name of it, that also existed in Pericles' time, which he in- initiated, I believe. So he was a guy who saw all this. He was a general. He was a military, really, but a marvelous orator and somebody who really thought that democracy was an idea that would persist and would help people. And I think you said before, Danny, that um, anything that gives the what the Rastas call sufferers a break, what... Well, Biden calls a shot, um, anybody that attempts that is doing the work of God, really, because that's why I've never been able to get with, you know, um, uh, you know, massively elitist political people and visions, you know, like in England, it was the Tory party. And actually, Michelle Goldberg, who I really like, wrote an article in this morning's Time about Tory sleaze, yeah, did you? you see, I read that today. Did you like that piece? Very much. Okay. I quoted it to be, oh, God, did it? Because, first of all, the only thing I disagree with Michelle about it is it's been going on forever. It's not a new thing. The Conservative Party, you know, even during Churchill in the early 50s, was known to only be protecting a very small part of the rich population, which it right. from royalty to nobility to rich people. Right. And, um, you know, uh, what she says in the thing is that, it wasn't just Boris Johnson that was bad. It was a history of of, of real separation, uh, not anxiety, the opposite, separation love between the elite that ran India and many parts of the world from this mm-hmm. little tiny nothing country in the middle of the Atlantic. And, you know, that's what the Tory party was. And now it's, it's disintegrated into a kind of sleazy group of people who are just taking as much money as they can and throwing parties when everyone else is dying of... Covid, bad stuff, and Michelle says I'm talking about talking about her as if I know her. I don't know her at all, but she's and she's no relation.
0: I don't know her either, even though her name name is Goldberg. I I (laughs) guess there are a few
2: few Goldbergs around. Uh, Yeah, uh, quite a common uh, name. Yeah, yes, including Whoopi. But I mean, um, what I guess what I'm saying is that what she's saying is that there's an endemic, a systemic problem in that two-party system in England, in, in Britain because one represents a tiny part of the population that still has the power. And the same is not that different here. I mean, what McCain got, Feingold, to my mind, we're trying to do, get rid of um, that whole thing of, of, of massive donations from massively rich influencers, uh, didn't happen. Well, so we, what, we said, what, what happened
0: just yeah. factually, McCain-Feingold was incremental progress in lowering the influence of money in politics, which was then eliminated by the Supreme Court in the Citizens United decision, of which uh, this Mm -hmm. uh, current chief justice, I think, wrote that opinion. And uh, Obama said it at the time, and you remember, I don't even remember Mm -hmm. at the State of the Union, Obama saying it in Alito on the floor of the State of the Union, shaking his head in disgust. And so, again... (laughs) <laughs> the 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 Supreme Court you've got um, <laughs> and this is so not appropriate for to be here now, Love Server Member Network.
1: <laughs> was, so it's all appropriate,
0: but uh, you know, uh, six of the nine were appointed by presidents that got less votes than the people they ran against. Mm. So that's not democratic. Uh, it's a it's a system that uh, has to be. Uh, uh, modernized i i always it's so funny though because i look at the british system as being more democratic um because parliamentary systems to me are inherently can be more democratic but yet the parallels between the two countries mm-hmm. are so incredible i mean it's like we're one country england in the united states really in certain in a certain way yeah. uh and then you look all over everywhere else in the world what's What's the Indian government like, uh, Raghu, right now? Is it, is it a positive thing for most people or is it encouraging polarization and demonization totally. of, of Muslims? I can't yep. figure it out.
1: No, it's polarization. But then if I talk to uh, my, my great friend who drives me around when I'm in India, he's actually a devotee of Neem Karoli Baba as well, and he's maybe you know late 30s or something, got a family, lives in a small village, and he says, you know, this guy... Modi actually did a bunch of things that helped poor people in India. Right,
0: that's what I've heard.
1: Yeah, and, and so, you know, is he doing it to enhance the vote for himself? Yeah, he's doing it that way. Does he have any motivation that's beyond that, beyond um, power? Maybe, who knows, you know? No, that's the mystery of human beings because it's these imperfect
0: people are vehicles of a cosmic thing sometimes. Look, Huey Long, you know, people in Louisiana, I think a lot of poor people, like, were better off with Huey Long, although he would have for sure been an American Mussolini had
2: he become president, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, those things exist out of contrast. I mean, Hitler also did a lot of good things. You've heard this from neo-Nazis and other people, you know, making great roads, although the Autobahn was... Thought about and started way before Adolf, Uh, so that's a lie. Okay, but he he did do some stuff, and and Mussolini did some stuff that we all know about. And you know, the problem is, of course, that that was totally insincere. You know, but the context was massive inflation, uh, and a treaty in 1918 uh, that was that ruined Germany, for its acts in the First World War, made inflation surreal. And it's a cliché that people had a wheelbarrow, they owned a wheelbarrow so they could put the the Deutsche Marks in there that it took to buy a loaf of bread. A loaf of bread, yeah. And and it isn't a cliché because in certain situations that I've read and been there, in Germany when I was there, I've seen evidence that it was like that, it was terrible. So, boom, up pops a fascist redeemer. And they're always the same, they've got the same contours. You know, they really do. Bolsonaro in, in in Brazil was an absolute, won't say the word, but MF of the deepest order, though I'm not separate from him. Oh my God, it's hard. <laughs> so it's
1: fucking hard. <laughs> but
2: anyway, um, you know, there's yeah. a guy who was absolutely putrid. And, you know, I, one doesn't hear that word that much these days. He was just the worst thing imaginable for the Brazilian people. Mm. And yet was popular, and, and, and people sort of yeah. seemed to like him. So it's a context before the. The demise of democracy in each individual. But look at in that Sweden and Finland. We think of them as being advanced countries, right wing governments and leaders. Of a well, country. but a, a, a right wing
0: Swede like Bernie Sanders would be on the right wing if he lived in Sweden. You know, it's like the the uh, the, uh, the map know. of of debatable issues is so is so is so is so different. You know. Uh, yeah, it, I suppose it, 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 it's. Uh, you, you, you know, they, the the most right wing Swedes still they have care for everybody. They they there's no college debt. There's you know you know you, 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 you know it's that's it's a, there's real that social thing.
1: nets there. That's yeah. the status I mean, quo
2: now. But if if elitist or fascist governments continue, those are the things that they erode. So there is always a danger of 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 those things being eroded because they've been eroded here.
0: And yeah, you know, yeah, no, and it's true badly.
2: I mean, think of what happened in the, through the Supreme Court in the last few weeks. Disastrous yes. decisions against, <laughs> you know, against people who've, who were defenseless, basically, us, you know, and even more so African-Americans and the rest of the minorities. that are trying to get some kind of placement and some kind of valency in the society. And it was just wiped out like, you know, that's what disturbs me is, and as you said, Danny, got to expand that thing. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't understand these rationales. and so, say, "Well, if you spend it be expand then, someone else will expand it later." Fine, let's do it for a, a, a now. <laughs> let's put some merit garlands in there or whatever. You know, I mean. All right,
1: I whatever. want to go back to end of,
2: uh, rent. End of rent. There,
1: I'll uh, go back to our uh, separation issues. But you, <laughs> which. David, you have a couple of things that you wanted to share that I thought would be interesting.
2: Yeah, I, I, I wanted to look for some quotes from non-politicians. Mm,
1: thank and,
2: you. I, and I found three of outstanding uh, fame, if not glory, but some glory too. first one was from Nietzsche, who is often falsely uh, designated as being the father of fascism, which is simply not true. But anyway, he made a statement which I really liked. He said, democratic institutions form a system of quarantine for tyrannical desires. In other words, he's saying that dem- democracy really is a moment in between other worse moments. It's a quarantine pushing away those that would subjugate people for their own purposes and for their friends. And they are a time when the tyrants have to disappear. They're just not liked, loved, or anything but those times are short. So, Nietzsche was basically saying, you know, use this time. And Nietzsche was at a time when mm. Russia was a, a dominating oppressive force in the world, sort of like uh, the Soviet Union or, or Hitler's Germany. Like what, what time period specifically? I suppose it was in the 1870s. In the franco prussian War, right. um, the institution of all kinds of separation in, in Europe. And, and fighting between France and, and Germany and France, and, you know, so on. Uh, so I think that what Nietzsche was sort of getting at was that we must take these dem- democratic interludes very seriously and very passionately because they are, as he put it, a quarantine. Short, they're short. Yeah, they're short in duration, yeah. Yeah, yeah, historically. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. seems
1: apt for where we are in this moment.
2: Yeah, no, I, I don't know quite who he was talking about, but but I know that that period in Germany was one when, um, the, you know, the balkanization of Germany. Germany was in many parts, and then suddenly it became a country, not just Prussia and Bavaria, but a country. And did that make it better? For a little while, probably did, until the Kaiser came and that stupid war that killed God knows how many million people between 1914 and 1918 over nothing, over the attempted assassination of a, a a small despot, so I mean the twentieth century, you know, as you said before, Danny in the beginning of this, you know it's all right for us to moan and groan about um, what whatever we do, but uh is it worse now than it was in well, in, in yeah. germany in 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 auschwitz time you know
0: for most people, it's worse then I think, but for an individual it could be worse now. That's the weird thing. I agree, climate change is a unique existential problem. Yeah, absolutely. So is the nuclear holocaust it was yep. existential. Yep. But the, um, the the sort of human behavior, uh I still think it's uh, it was worse a hundred years ago. I, I yeah, certainly in terms of women having any power, you know, that's a global
2: thing. But what's the other quote? You said you had two of them? right, uh, two more. Yeah, uh, two more, per- okay. this this one is rather short. This one is very. I don't know. Uh, you, it, he said, "I'll tell you who it is." When you meet saints everywhere. They can be anywhere. There are people behaving decently decently in an indecent society. There are people behaving decently in an indecent society, and mm-hmm. therein therein lies, as Kurt Vonnegut said. Mm. A great deal of redemption mm. because, um, as one talks and works around the world, the you know, the social contract is basically intact, except in places where it's been systematically destroyed, as in a fascist nation. And uh, even then, you know,
0: even were- then, between small groups of people, tremendous love and oneness is possible. It's something to do with once you get into these big scales where all the Categories, yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yes, yes, yeah. another one is by a, a very famous philosopher, and his statement was, "Hatred is a disease, a disease in the body of freedom." Mm. And that's by Mr. Frank Sinatra. <laughs> that's and, so great. Um, you know, Frank wow. had, You know, there've been a Frank, series. Frank the of,
1: philosopher.
2: Well, there've been a series of things on on uh, I believe Facebook recently pinpointing Frank's individual attempts. Uh, Against racism, uh, which were incredible, which were incredible. Yes,
0: I this is an example where my own opinions changed because I was so um, anti Ronald Reagan that I just the fact that Sinatra was was hanging around with him and there was a certain Mm. stylistic thing about it. That I found offensive. And then looking objectively at the totality of what he did with his life, overwhelmingly positive, no question about it. I, I'm really, for me, that's an example where I've really changed my feelings about somebody. And it, it, it just remembers like these feelings are so ephemeral. You have some strong opinion, and then it's like,
2: boom, you know? Yeah. Yes. Well, Sinatra is a good example because, I mean, but he's a great,
0: ex- no, he's a great oh, example.
2: He was marvelous along with, you know, with people, obviously with Sammy Davis Jr. But with many other people Yeah. who yeah. he would say to the head of the Copacabana, I'm not performing here unless Sammy gets in the front door and opens for me. And the guy yeah, would go, wait yeah. a minute, what are you talking about? You've got to, no, no, I have to do nothing. You know, to hell with you. That's an indecent thing you're doing. Um, no, he was on the he was definitely on the right side of the
0: civil rights struggles of the fifties, no question about it. And he and and he didn't have to be. He used his his power. He also, again, it wasn't the music that most moved me because I'm such a creature of the folk and rock and roll eras. And to me, that was my parents' music. But he was a true artist. There's no getting around it. I mean, you look at that. I think there's a four-hour documentary on him that Alex Gibney did for HBO, and it is kind of like, wow, this guy really did. He, yeah. he he was an artist, not
2: just a singer. Yeah, and I mean, on that, part of his artistry and genius was in making popular music echo real conversation and phrasing. Before right. him, Rudy Valley, who was the other, and Bing Crosby, to some yeah. extent, who were there, they did not do that. They had that bombastic, you know, sort of approach right, to words right. and lyrics. Sinatra just made it like he was talking at a bar to you. No. Now, he no wasn't there's talking a reason even. why
0: there's a reason why Bob Dylan did like three albums
2: emulating Sinatra, you know. Yeah. Right. Yes, yes. Cuz there's yes. Uh, yeah. I, I you know, I, I it seems a little uh, cute to quote him, but the quote itself is sort of interesting. Hatred is a disease a disease in the body of freedom, which means it's anti-democratic. It's totally anti-democratic. And the hatred that we're seeing, I was watching a piece on TV yesterday from the Secretary of State of Michigan, who's a a, a very bright woman. I've forgotten her name. I'm sorry. Uh, But uh, she was saying that since she spoke out against various things in the early part of the Trump, she said she just receives massive amounts of death threats and horrible things every day. And she's still the Secretary of State, and Ramford won. And her boss, uh, Whitmer, is the same way. I see that them as being her- heroes or heroines, whichever word you choose, because it's very frightening to get. Mich- Michigan, in general, to me, is,
0: for those of us that are sort of, you know, liberals or progressives, whatever you want to call us, is the most encouraging situation because that's not. California or New York, you know, it's not coastal. It's a midwestern, so-called swing state where these women, in particular, Chris, Gretchen Whitmer, at the top of the pyramid, yes, have created a politics that's incredibly popular in the state. I mean, they won overwhelmingly in the midterms. You know, uh, and. Um, you know, there's something about the way they communicate and the way they handle themselves that is more appealing to uh, to people than than anywhere else in, in, in the in the country. Uh, they're they're the. That's a very interesting thing to study. I, I haven't studied it, but it's unbelievable it, what, what yeah. happened in Michigan over the last ten or fifteen mm. years. And it is, you know, uh, it's it's positive.
1: It must be a sense of inclusiveness that people are feeling. And that's a big reason why they get supported like that. I mean, yeah.
0: Somehow, somehow, she's able that that that, that uh, they've been able to make uh, people that uh, even if they had a tribal notion that it Republicans are this or that, that that that, 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 that it was um, more inclusive. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. It's so hard. Uh, I don't envy anyone in any of these jobs. I don't envy policemen. I don't envy soldiers. I mean, these are all very tough jobs. But um, but there's no question, <laughs> Michigan, Michigan's been really impressive. What's happened there the last uh, the last uh, half a dozen years?
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and it uh, is
0: women. They're all yeah. of the leading. I mean, it's unbelievable. The attorney general is a woman. The governor's a woman. the Secretary of states a woman. I'm not saying all women would be that way, but. In Michigan, they're all women.
1: Mm. Oh. You know what His Holiness the Dalai Lama said, our, fu- our future hope lies in the laps of women who raise their children in the ki- with the kind of compassion that I was raised with. What you see in me is my mother mm. giving me that kind of unconditional love mm. and compassion. Mm. That will change the world is yeah, what he says. Yeah. You know, um, I have another little. Uh, so there's a um, a great Rinpoche named Tsokni Rinpoche, Soki Rin, Rinpoche is how it's supposed to be pronounced. I think um, Choki, Choki, You know, not He's Choki supposed- Nima. No, Tsokni. Oh, Tsok-ni. Tsok-ni. oh yeah, Chokny. Yeah. Right, right. So um, he says, and this this sort of is the arc from starting out around the quote that I read from Trumpa and Andy Carr about separation and materialism and so on, he uh, says, I like to think about love as a multi-level phenomenon. Essence love is the foundation, the soil. From that ground, various kinds of expressions, of expression love sprout and bloom in our relationships and spiritual practice. For example, we can have parental love, brotherly and sisterly love, romantic love, friendship love, devotional love, compassionate love, and so forth. All of these have some texture of essence love, the moisture of essence love. Essence love is like the eyes of love, while expression love is like the body, arms, and legs. Or we could say essence love is like the capacity or underlying warmth while expression love is the enactment, the color and shape of the flames, what you actually see. The healthy forms of expression life, love make life meaningful and joyful and they are also the support that helps us su- survive when life is tough. These forms of love are often bound up with attachment, but that's normal. We can perhaps imagine a love beyond attachment, a deep and refined quality of unbiased love and compassion.
2: Mm. The
1: Beatles, the Beatles already said all of this in one of their three-minute songs. All you need is love.
2: Yes, they did. all You Need Is Love, you know, it's very interesting because I was, that show, Our World, was the first global television show by satellite and I was in it with my TV show in Boston. Oh, yeah. And we were given indicators who was going to come on the show. No one knew wh- who was going to end the show, who's going to be the climax, you know. Mm. And then I got a phone call from London. I was in Boston saying, The Beatles, we're just letting you know that shortly oh. after you're on, The Beatles are going to come on. What I learned last week, you know, over fifty years later, was that John Lennon wrote that song in the studio, the TV, the BBC television studio, just before the thing. He simply came into his head. He wrote it about an hour before our world went global, and they performed it. He told the chords. He told him the chords, and then he told him how to answer back. And uh, the Stones were there too, and uh, or. Richards, Jagger were there, and they learned how to do the, the chorus. And, wow. you know, when I did that program, I remember sitting in the studio in Boston GBH, not I knew the Beatles were about to come on, but what we thought, we all thought, everybody in that room thought, they're gonna do, you know, one of their huge hits. Uh, it seemed obvious. They would do Ticket to Ride or something like that. And when they did All You Need Is Love, People were crying in that control room. Mm, very professional really? television wow. directors. I wasn't because I'm English. But, you know, the rest, <laughs> were, the rest <laughs> were, there were tears coming out of <laughs> Particularly my assistant, wow. Olivia, was just weeping because she felt so, she felt that it was so appropriate to this wonderful new thing called satellite television. And this being the very first thing on it or via it. So, I'm just saying that because things come to people. They do. And it came to Lenin that love was the preeminent, predominant, prescient, and present undercurrent and subtext of all interconnection. And it exists whether we like it or not. It's there. Ramdas said one time, it's there, whether you're there or not, it's there. It's yeah. there. It exists in the air like okay. oxygen that's and hydrogen.
1: The whole be here now, diving just, just into so the moment. Just so I can
0: understand, I mean, there's so many things about that story that are great, and thank you for that. But just so I can understand the Beatles aspect of it, I mean, th- th- that record, I mean, th- when they did it, I mean, what's in my mind is the record All You Need Is Love, which is, you know, on all the Beatles' greatest hits, and that's what yes. you can stream on Spotify a- and all that stuff. And that's a pretty elaborate musical arrangement
2: with like horns, right? Yes, you know, yeah, yeah. You know. The one on the one on our show was not like that. If you look so, at it,
0: so the original version of it was was a simpler arrangement.
2: Yes, because I, I,
0: otherwise, I, how could they have rehearsed all those different no, they parts? They couldn't. They couldn't. Yeah.
2: But the, the the way it was written in this thing that I read last yeah. week, this is I'm recounting. I didn't know that at the time. I thought, well, it, you know, this, but if you look back on it basically people were walking around the studio and they were playing the music. And I didn't see any horns or anything like that there. But when I read this last week, I was actually shocked because I thought the record came out before the show. That's how I Oh, no, that's, it. yeah, yeah, no, that's where it they didn't.
0: premiered it. Yeah, they,
2: they premiered it. it. But <laughs> he only wrote, the apparently, yeah, sorry. The
0: mind-blowing thing also for just Beatles nerds like me is that's in 1967. They had just put out Sgt. Pepper's I, yes. I mean, yes. I mean, yes. they did yes. that, like, and then said, oh, by the way, we have another
2: song. Yes, yes. You know? Yes. I mean, think of Let It Be and, 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 and these wonderful, helpful yes. songs. I mean, they're not just art. You know, the Dalai Lama said he didn't much, I just read it yesterday, I'm quoting things I just read. He said, oh, it's wonderful, but I don't waste my time with it anymore, I meditate. In other words... He actually has reached that point where he has to. His gift to us is the constant, you know, articulation of this simple word. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm going to take it all fast forward to, uh, and uh, and it's a call out for everyone to check it out. You know, uh, David, I don't think I've mentioned this to you, Danny, but we met the artist Kesha, the pop artist. Because yeah. she got into Ram Dass and she wanted to use a track, uh, you know, that Rick Rubin produced her, her most recent, just a record came out a month or so ago. And so uh, in that way I got, we got to know each other a little bit because she wanted something specific about what she wanted to do with the track, etc. And she would very substantial and uh artist and the record is quite great it's called gag order so i am it's a shout out for that but one one of the songs uh, actually i think the single only love can save us now done in a gospel chorus with a really uh you know it when we were started talking about you know the beatles and what i just read around essence love uh that it comes fast forward to you know, to this big pop star who somehow the turn happened for her. It happened through through some major suffering and somebody gave her Be Here Now. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Th- this yeah. is the light that, the kind of lights that we need going forward to really cut through the feeling we are separate. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, thank you guys for hanging out here. We haven't done no, it in good, quite some time.
0: Good, good to uh, good to uh, reconnect in the podcast uh, plane.
1: Yes, conscious <laughs> the plane of consciousness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. the pod,
0: uh, the pod plane.
1: Yeah, yeah. By the way, uh, Danny, uh, if you don't know, has written a, a number of books that are all extremely engaging, and uh, one of them is famous for its. Uh, uh, Kurt Cobain being a central figure in it, uh, but more, re, you know, there's one on 1967. We were just talking about 1967. You wrote a book about 1967, so um, how do people even go find them? They have to, I, go.
0: you know, um, they're all on um, Amazon.
1: Amazon, yeah, just Danny Goldberg oh, on yeah, Amazon. Danny That's Goldberg,
0: it. you know, they're they're on Amazon. There's yeah, there's five of them. Great. It's kind of yeah. kind of you to mention, and hopefully I'll. I got one or two more in me, but yeah. um, it's been uh, it's 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 uh, for the 1967 book. You were so <clears throat> generous, Raghu. You you got uh, I, I'm sure you remember you you got Ramdas to oh, answer yeah. uh, seven or eight questions, and oh God, those answers were so precious to me. You know, uh, I think re- I included every word of them. Mm, uh, you know, in, in in the book. So so mm. you, uh, you you have a fingerprint on that one. That's called <laughs> insertion of the lost cord. Yeah. 1967, yeah. and the hippie so idea, and probably the one most pertinent to people that would listen to your network here. You know, yeah. you're trying to—it's not just the cultural history; it's just trying to tune into that sense of possibility for society. You know, while we're all trying to be here now inside of our own souls. You know, yeah. but anyway, yeah.
1: great that you do this, man. Great that you keep uh, this thing going. Great to have you. And David, uh, we're looking for. Your book, okay? Maybe people, you should write to David, and and you can do it through Be Here Now Network, and say, David, we want that book. How about that?
2: I look forward to those seven letters, and um, I will take the bills.
1: <laughs> Meanwhile, you can go to Mind Rolling. David and I have done, of course, we've done an extraordinary amount of podcasts together over the years, but there's a couple in the last couple of years that uh, when i'm talking about david has wonderful wonderful uh stories of encounters like he just said with alan watts i didn't even remember that maybe you've told me before i've
0: been friends with david i we met I, in <laughs> 1970 i know the year so it's 53 years we talk very frequently <laughs> and i still hear stories i'd never heard <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bel- it's yeah. unbelievable right. Uh, the The most interesting person I've ever met, David oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> That's like a TV show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh God yeah so you can't uh, do
2: this anymore because it's an emoji and it's so overused, but I'm doing it. <laughs>
1: okay. It's real. It's like everything. Thanks, Essence. Raghu. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much. All right. This is uh, Mind rolling on Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and catch so many. Alan Watts is there, for instance, along with Ram Dass and others. We shall see you next week. Thanks, guys.